Good morning, everybody. It's lovely to see so many familiar faces, so many friendly faces. Make sure I make eye contact with everyone there. And so many new faces as well. It's lovely to have you here with us this morning. I would just add, if you've got young children and they stay in the service, do not worry if they make noise. We're a family together. It doesn't matter. So don't feel pressured, please, that you have to leave. Rob will just turn me up, won't you? Um, we're a family together. It would be weird if children didn't make noise. So please don't feel any pressure there to feel like you have to take them out. Um, just before we start, I'll just start with a prayer. So if you're able to, if you'd like to stand, um, just as we just pray before we read God's word this morning. Lord God, we thank you, Lord, that we can't box you. I was said this morning, Lord God, that we can't put you in a box. And we'll see that this morning, Father. Lord God, we thank you that you're a good God who loves us, Father God. Lord God, within love, a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice that was made for us so that we could be united with you, Father God. You're a good Father. We thank you for the blessings that you bestow upon us, Lord God. And in those times when life is really difficult, that you're still there with us, Lord God. We give you the glory this morning, Lord God. Thank you for the blessing of lovely weather. And Lord God, thank you that England got through the quarterfinals. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. If you'd like to take a seat. So for those of you who've just joined us, we've been spending time delving into the book of Genesis. For those who don't know, Genesis is the first book in the Bible. It contains 50 chapters, and it begins with the creation of the world and runs right through chapter 50 to Joseph's death. We've been spending a bit of time on this. It's almost a mini-series in Genesis. We've looked at the creation of the earth. We've looked at what happened within that, what that means for us. And we've moved on to the creation of the first humans, Adam and Eve. And when we recap what we've read so far, we've learned that they lived in a garden, and it was a phenomenal garden. Genesis 2, verse 9, reminds us that out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. When you read around this, it's often been described as paradise, some would say. Every need was catered for. However, as we've read on in this mini-series, we've seen that something went wrong. And the beginning of chapter 3 reminded us that man chose to eat from the tree that they were asked not to the forbidden fruit. And this has led us, this journey, to where we are now. Man willingly chose to eat the fruit that they were told not to. Now, it could be easy there to sit and browbeat there. I can remember being in Sunday school reading this, thinking, why did you do that? Just cover it with a load of figs or something. Just do something so you don't even have to look at it. But there's something symbolic there that's human nature, and you see that, that, that rebellion, we see that even in young children. I'm very blessed I've got two young children, and you often see for those who've got kids, who've worked with kids, who know young children, that from a very young age you will see, don't do that, and what comes on the face? A big smile, and off they start and do what you ask them not to do. It's, it's within us. And Adam and Eve disobeyed God, which is what we call sin. If you just pick up your Bible and read pages and pages, you will see countless people who chose not to follow God's warnings or direction like Adam and Eve. And we could sit there and say, you know, I'm a good person. That doesn't apply to me. However, the Bible reminds us on various occasions that sin 
is intertwined in our nature. 1 Kings 8.46 tells us that there is no one who does not sin. Romans 3.23, very well-known verse, says that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. To be honest, you just have to turn on the TV, and I've said this before, just turn on the TV. What's the news dominated by? It's not good things, is it? Preed, uh, greed, sorry, lust, pride is rampant. Sin everywhere. And as we move on to our bit of the Bible that we're going to look at today, we see that Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. They chose to sin, which had a consequence, which we're going to look at today. So if you could open your Bibles, please, to Genesis 3, 20 to 24, please. That's Genesis 3, 20 to 24. I'm going to be reading from the ESV today. You might have a different translation. Um, Genesis 3, 20 to 24, with the title, Banishment. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned, away every, uh, but turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. In previous um, weeks that we've done this series, we've looked at the punishment that they had and the, fu- the punishment that went down future generations as a result of their sin. And here is our focus tech that they're banished. They've been punished, and now they're banished. And there was something, as I was preparing this, I really felt God put this on my heart this morning, that we need to realise that sin has a consequence. Either overt or subtle, sin impacts us. We might not see the fruit of it straight away. We might not think it doesn't. Nobody saw that, it's all right. But it has a consequence, and it's really important that we understand that this morning. And this isn't God being a party pooper. It's not God being an enforcer. Their banishment at the start serves as a reminder of how important and damaging sin is. Now, historically, God was seen through this almost feared paradigm, this this worldview, whereby he was feared. People were almost scared. They felt they had to go to church out of a duty. Whereas now, over probably the last 50 to 100 years, we seem to have shifted the opposite way. And we seem to almost take God too lightly sometimes. We hear this idea, God is love. And sin becomes almost non-existent. It doesn't really matter. God loves us anyway. This almost gives us a license to move away from biblical truth and live in the moment. But we just, I really felt God put this on my heart, that we just need to remind ourselves of the serious nature of sin. Because this isn't talked about enough, because it's not popular, unfortunately. We have a sinful nature, so to hear that we can sin is offensive. But we can't preach truth if we don't talk facts. Amen? So, I was looking around, and I don't know if anybody's ever seen Love Island. Um, I thought, somebody once said to me that if you turn on a popular TV show, you can kind of get a gauge of the culture, get a decent gauge of the culture. So I thought, I'll pop one on and say, on the wall it said, get laid. People getting drunk. And it just, I just felt God was saying to me that we just need to remind ourselves that sin is damaging. When we look around, when we turn on the TV, when you go out, we're told, sex doesn't matter. One night stands fine, four plays, all right. 
But the Bible reminds us of those biblical truths. Getting drunk is fine, according to culture. But the Bible would tell us differently. Do what you want, as long as you're happy. God reminds us, and we'll see this as we look this morning, that he does this because he loves us and that these things are not good for us. Sin is dangerous. And this was the same heart that he had for Adam and Eve as well. He gave them guidelines on how to live their life for their own good. But they thought that they knew better, so they rebelled. And now they face the banishment for it. And we could end there, be really bleak. We'd all be going, oh, another bashing. But that's not what we're here to do. This isn't a threat. What we will see is that God in this verse, in these verses, is actually loving us in this banishment, that he's loving Adam and Eve within this banishment, and we'll see that this morning. It's too simplistic to just think that. And if we delve a little deeper, and I'd really encourage you to do that, when you get your Bible, don't just take what you read on face value. Get books, learn into it. Get a commentary, read into it. Really delve deep and see what's going on. We see, and here is, oh, I love it. We see a golden thread emerge. I love this idea of a golden thread. This is the message of hope, even in this banishment, that points us to Jesus and hope in spite of our sinful nature. And if you actually carefully pick apart Bible verses, you'll see this thread from here to the end. And we see this golden thread in verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. On face value here, we simply have Eve being named but actually, there's a message of hope within this. They've sinned, they've fallen away, they've had the consequences of their sin, and now they're being banished. But it's interesting to note here that she's only named after they've sinned. Before that, she's called the woman, or woman. Verse 3, verse 4 says, said to the woman. She isn't named until we get here, after they've sinned, and there's a reason for that. It's this golden thread that emerges you see, the name Adam translates as red earth, dust, death, where man deserves to be. Man deserves to be in the ground. We've rebelled against God. We've thrown it in his face. Our sinful nature has come through. And yet by naming her Eve, through God's intervention, who came from Adam, God is already beginning to show his golden thread in the midst of the sin. His redemptive, caring nature, the message of hope that although we mess up, he still forgives us and he still loves us. How? Well, Eve in Hebrew is translated, get my pronunciation right here, Hava or Chava, which translates as life. I was reading, doing some background reading to this and Timothy Keller, if you've ever read about him, he's a brilliant theologian. And he said, from Eve will come the one who will bring life, the one who will overcome death and crush death and the penalty for sin. So just by naming her Eve, we see God's message, that thread coming through. You deserve death, but I'm going to give you a new name that points you to Jesus, to life. He's a good God. Amen? Here, we're getting a glimpse of God's character. It seems really rough to banish them. Because we've sinned, we've disobeyed, we haven't listened, but he's still there to rescue us. He's still there to love us. He's a good father. Do you know, sometimes when we're disciplined, it's not always nice. 
It's not always easy, but a loving parent will discipline, and that's what's happening here. And as we move on to verse 21, we continue to see the consequence of their sin in this banishment, but also this golden thread, the emergence of hope despite our rebellion. So we'll just move on to verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. I'll just read that again. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. We read back in verse 7, 3 verse 7, that as soon as they disobeyed and ate the fruit, they became aware of the nakedness. And this doesn't just mean, oops, I'm naked physically, but also it's symbolic. Matthew Henry writes that at this point, man's eyes were opened. They saw how they'd fallen. They became aware of their rebellious natures. They became aware of their own conscience. Verse 8 tells us that as soon as they, this became apparent, they hid. They were ashamed of their fall from grace. Shame came onto them for what they'd done. This is another consequence of sin that shouldn't be taken lightly. Shame. When we do something we know we shouldn't and we regret it, we hide it. I love what, um, in verse 7, I'm just going to go back to verse 7, what they did. Then the, uh, then the eyes of both were opened and they saw that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And you can just imagine, oh no, grab something, quick anything. This kind of attempt to kind of hide their shame, their sin. But when we go back to verse 21, we see this golden thread of God's grace that despite our rebellion, he loves us still. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. And this is really important here because it points to Jesus. Why? Man had sinned, rebelled, become aware of their shame. And for this, they tried to do something to cover it, anything to just hide, to hide the shame and their embarrassment of sin. However, God gives them clothes of animals made out of animal skins. And the skins are symbolic because they point us to Jesus. You see, to get skins, a sacrifice had to be made. An animal had to be killed. Blood had to be spilled. But by covering them in animal skin, they're being covered in this. Why? It's pointing us to Jesus. Jesus came to die to shed his blood as the ultimate sacrifice for our sin and our sinful nature and to clothe us in this redemptive love that he has for us. Can you see in the midst that God, we're just pointed back to Jesus all the time. We're pointed back to Jesus and that message of hope that despite our sin, despite our failings, despite our rebellion, we're still pointed to Jesus. He's a good God. He's a good God. And I'd really encourage you, as I've said before, to just spend time in God's word, even in those insignificant verses that you might think are not really important. Just have a look and see. You will find this golden thread throughout if you do a bit of digging. And then as we move on to verse 23 and 24, we see an application here, a practical application for our lives we're going to go to verse 22 onwards. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. 
Verse 22 shows us the importance of being on guard. Just read that again. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. We're told in 1 Peter 5 verse 8 to be on guard, ready, because the devil prowls like a lion. And we see evidence of this. The devil told Adam and Eve in verse 5 that by eating the fruit they would have their eyes opened. And this isn't a lie, it's a twist. They did have their eyes opened, but not with the wisdom that they were expecting, not in the way that they thought their eyes would be opened. It's a half-truth. He'd taken what God had said to Adam and Eve and twisted it. He downplayed it. And there's a warning here for us that we need to be on guard of the devil's truth twists. We need to be aware that we don't fall for the lies that the culture is telling us that we're peddling. It doesn't matter. Do what you want. Be happy. The idea that God is love, which is a truth, but it's been twisted so that we can do whatever we want as long as we're happy. The idea that as long as you're happy, it doesn't matter. Do what you want. You only live once. Do what you want with it. It's a lie. It's a twist on what God's, God's character and God's nature Be on guard for the twists. Know your Bible. Do you know what God's telling you? Are you walking closely with God? Are we picking up once a week? Are we spending time learning what God is telling us that we can identify those half-truths? Are we spending time talking with people, praying with people, praying with our spouses, with our families, making sure that we're on guard, ready for those prowling lions who are waiting to just get us at any point? Are we ready? Do we know what God tells us? We see in verse 23 and 24 that although God showed mercy for, his, uh, for the sin, he still banishes them. So we'll just go back to verse 23. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the, to the tree of life. Banishing them signifies the distance that sin caused and will cause us. It symbolizes also the need for a punishment for sin. God banishes them to wake them up, to humble them, to help them realize the significance of their actions, which we need to be aware of, that our actions are significant. But also, which is the most important part, to remind them of their need for God. Sin isn't something to be taken lightly, and I can't stress that enough this morning. It isn't something that we should laugh about. It's serious with consequences. So what does that mean for us? First of all, we need to realize that we all fall short. We all fall short. And I am standing up here, and I am not saying I am. I, I, I've got it made by any stretch. If you ask my wife, she could probably pick out five things off the top of the head where I fall short straight away. <laughs> Please don't. Um, but we do need to realize that we're all sinners all of us together, we all fall short. I spoke about this at Easter, that we're never going to get to that benchmark that we need. No matter how good we are, we can't. We need to realize that the choices that we make now echo in eternity. That no matter how many times we try and cover our shame, our sin, we can never cover the sin properly that's caused by our rebellion, our sinful nature. Then we need to realize what the Bible tells us, which is the key, isn't it? Amen? What does the Bible tell us? 
We deserve to be banished. We deserve to be kicked out. We deserve to be thrown out. We deserve to be in the dust, just as Adam's name symbolizes. We deserve to be banished from that garden, that literal idea from God's presence for eternity. But the Bible reminds us that Jesus came, the golden thread, to pay the price and take the consequence for our sin. Isaiah 61 verse 10 just puts it beautifully. I can't put it better anywhere myself. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. We do deserve to be banished. We do deserve death. We do deserve to be thrown out. But Jesus, who loves us, came to pay the price that that deserves for us, to remove those fig leaves from us and be clothed in his garments of righteousness. I'm just going to take a bit of time now before I go any further. Um, and when I was preparing this, I just felt that God would just have a bit of time of response, to be honest, um, if you feel comfortable to. Um, so what I'd like you to do is, can everyone stand if you're able to, if that's okay? If you're able to, if you'd like to stand. And we're just going to take some time now just to talk to God. We're just going to take some time now to just spend some time with him. We're just going to take some time now to just listen to his voice. We're just going to spend some time thinking about the truth that he bestows upon us. If you'd like to pray out in this time, more than welcome to. If you feel that God's putting anything on your heart that you would like to share, we'd love to hear from you. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord God, that we do deserve to be banished. Lord God, that we do deserve to be thrown out. But Lord God, let's not forget, let's not overplay that, Lord God, that actually the most important message in their banishment, Lord God, is that you are the golden thread for us, Lord God. Lord God, that you have come to take that sin upon us, Lord God, that it's about you, Lord Jesus. Lord God, of what you have done, Lord God, that you are prepared to clothe us in robes of righteousness, Father God. We thank you, Lord God, for that sacrifice, that, that ultimate sacrifice where we can throw those fig leaves off, where we can throw those animal skins off and put on those robes, Lord God, that you have made for us, Father. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are covered by your sacrifice, by the blood that you spilt, Lord God, and for that constant golden thread that comes out, Lord God, life, life, sin, but life. You point us to life. Even in the renaming of Eve, Lord God, there's something symbolic in that. We should be in the dust, Lord God, but you will bring life again. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the goodness that you bestow upon us, Lord God. And as we just take some time now, Lord God, to just think if there's anything we need to repent for, Lord God, that you would just speak to us now, and I'm talking to myself here as well. You just want to spend a bit of time now. If there's anything that you feel you need to repent for, if you feel that there's anything that you just want to just chat through with God, if there's something that you're not... You just feel that you keep messing up on. I would just remind you that Jesus loves you. And if you don't know Jesus, his sacrifice for you to cover your sinful nature is free and easily given to you. All you have to do, he has done all the work, all you have to do is say, I accept. We'll just take a moment now. If you feel that God's going to put anything on your heart, we'd love you to share it. If not, that's fine. Don't worry, we're not going to manufacture this. Um, but I just felt that God would just have us just pause for a moment and just connect with him.
Thank you, Father. I just feel that God would say, as with a garden, you know, sometimes we can tend our gardens and we're doing the weeding, and you just get a bit fed up with that last bit of weeding, you can just cover it over, mm. and there's a root left, and it will come back. And in order to fully cleanse that garden, in, in, in order to fully prepare that soil for good work, every last root of that weed needs to come up. Because it will, it will penetrate somewhere else at a later date and spoil the work that he's trying to do. Mm. And I just think it's just true of your Christian life, really, that there are areas that we... It's painful, that kind of de-weeding, mm. but it's necessary. And just in order to kind of prepare your ground and prepare your soul and take accountability for your own life, mm. you know in your heart, because God will push on that, if there is that root, and you know, I've done it in my life, I'm too embarrassed to say anything, or you know, it's too painful. Actually, there are people here that have been through that, or, or will know there is nothing that God doesn't know. Mm. And actually, that really needs to come out. Mm. So I would just encourage anybody who's struggling with something, it might be shadow, it might be, you know, not all sin is so obvious. Mm. But if there is that root, just get it out, honestly, you're going to feel so much better for it. I would just, I would just encourage. Yeah. Mm. Thank you, God. I'm really glad you shared that because there was something that God was putting on my heart about just rooting around and just having a look and seeing if there's anything that is causing us to, to mess up. And there's definitely things in my life. I'm not going to stand here and say there isn't. I'm no way near perfect at all. So, Lord God, we pray now, Father God, that you would just help us to just analyse the soil of our hearts, Lord God, that we would be able to pick through and see if there's anything, Lord God, that those roots that are buried deep, Lord God, that are causing us to have a rebellious heart to you, Lord God. It's a painful process pulling up roots because it pulls lots of things up. <laughs> but, Lord God, you can fix all things, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. If you don't know God, I would just encourage you to just now think about what's been shared. I've got more to say, but I don't think I'm going to say it, actually, to be honest, if I'm dead honest with you. I've got another three pages, I think, but I'm not going to go any further. Uh, I don't feel it's right to, so I'm going to just pause there, to be honest. Um, and I would just say, if you don't know God, I just cannot reiterate enough how important that is, that Jesus, we can focus on the negatives there. We can focus at how rubbish we are. But actually, we should be pointing to Jesus, that golden thread that emerges throughout all of that, that Jesus came because he loves us. He loves each and every one of you. I'm trying to make eye contact with you all now. He loves each and every one of you. There's not a single person here that he does not love. There's not a single person here that he did not die for. You just have to call out and accept it and pray a prayer. And if you'd love to pray that prayer, I would love you to come and speak to me and I'd share it with you. I would love to share that with you because Jesus is a good God and he loves you more than you will ever know, more than you will ever know. I can't stress that enough, more than you will ever know. He's a good God, amen? He's a fantastic God. He's a lovely